This is the United States of James Carter. I'm the president, I'm the emperor, I'm the king, I'm Michael Jackson, you Tito, you belong to me. Welcome in to the Bro Four Squad podcast, where we are just a bunch of bros drinking beer and talking movies. I'm your host, the mayor, Jeff Hornacek. This is episode 213, and thank you so much for joining us for the movie discussion tonight. Before we dive in, let's go around and meet the fellow bros joining me. We start with the American hero, Nate Thurman. Nate, you were camping in the great outdoors this weekend. Did you survive? Nope. I'm dead as a doornail. Um, I, I did learn out there some force sensitivity techniques, so I'm kind of coming from beyond the grave, like Anakin or Obi-Wan or any of those. So, I mean, it's cool you get to interact with me in this state now, so silver lining, I guess. Did you learn it like by yourself? Was there a Jedi with you camping? Have this happen? I mean, the campsite was right next to an abandoned Jedi temple, so mm. I got to interact with some of the, the Force ghosts there. And I mean, do Force ghosts? Like, like, not that I saw. It was like a three-hour course. Just knocked it out in like like the morning. Oh, that's cool. Like half credit. Half credit. Yeah. Nice. Next, we go into the lab of the mad scientist Brian Banner. Banner, how was ballet practice today? It was fantastic. Absolutely <laughs> that fantastic. Like a joke, but it's absolutely not a joke. It's not a joke. It's not a joke. Have you learned like the terminology? Like, is there like a specific move that you're working on that has like a uh, Let's see. I do a waltz. I do a chasse. Come again? Uh, exactly. Bless you. And uh, past that, no, I don't know what I'm doing. Is there anything like, aside from choreography, which is tricky? Is there like a specific move that like you couldn't do at first and now you've like gotten better at? Uh, yeah, it's called the dance. <laughs> Just dancing okay. in general. Yeah. Dancing though, I mean, like I guess it's totally different at weddings than like at a stage, but it's like ninety percent uh, just not giving a fuck. Yeah. Yeah. yeah no, that's pretty much it. Because like if you if you're not afraid to embarrass yourself, then you can't. Yep. Yeah. All right, we'll, we'll get another update next week. All right, well, here on the Bro4 Squad podcast, we begin every episode with the most important thing in any bro's life, and that is chess day. And uh, our chess day topic today, we are going to be discussing season two of Loki on Disney+. Plus. So a lot of times we have done these Marvel shows and a lot of the Star Wars shows with weekly episode reviews. I think with Loki, there were two reasons we wanted to just do a sort of a recap whenever the series the season ended number one we were all this was just kind of a crazy time schedule wise for us hence the reason we took like a three and a half week unintentional hiatus with the pod and so we were all watching episodes at very different days i think at one point brian i don't know if it was you or nate but you were like three behind and binge them all in one night it's kind of just how it ended up working out yeah um, and the other thing is just how with how crazy this show was, knowing that there is the time travel element to it, I think we were all kind of of the mindset of like, I'm not going to understand this week to week. So maybe we just like at the end, view the thing as a whole season of television and try and talk about it then. And just cross our fingers that we understood it. Right. So, yeah, for the chess day today, if you've not seen Loki season two and you want to see it, I would skip ahead maybe like 10 or 15 minutes. Um, until we get to our protein shake. Otherwise, if you just want to come along for the ride and listen to our thoughts on it, um, because you don't either plan on seeing it or you don't care about spoilers, glad to have you here. So full uh, disclosure now, we're going to spoil a lot of season two of Loki. Um, I guess I have a few questions that I'll use to sort of 
get some of your guys' thoughts. But let's just start off overall thoughts on, I guess, first off, how you felt about season one, and, and then we'll, how you felt about season two. That way we know how you felt coming into this and then your opinion at the end of it. So, Nate, we'll start with you. Overall thoughts on Loki the series now that it's uh, allegedly wrapped. Like, this is it. I don't think we're getting a third season. Yeah, I, I don't think so either. And I mean, the way it ended, it kind of makes sense. Um, being where Loki ends up, but taking a step back, I'll actually answer the question. So my overall thoughts for this, like season one were great, really got me drawn in season two. And I know when we text multiple times during watching this, it was very confusing. I, I think I understood what was happening. I just didn't understand why or how. Um, so you, you get into all the jumping to different timelines and various ways of doing that now. Um, and yeah, I just didn't understand. It just happened so fast. And like at one point, getting a little bit into the details, like Loki just all of a sudden figures out, oh, I know how I figured out how to time jump. But there's like no real explanation. So like I said, the overall thing for like season two was like, I think I understood what was happening, but I don't understand how or why or like what the greater purpose for everything was. Um, until the very end, I kind of get where they tie it in with Loki and like his um, his ultimate burden with glorious purpose i'm like okay we do like all this just for that that line um but yeah i'm i have very mixed feelings um i like a lot of the interplay with with uh, some of the actors in there like uh, maybe oh wilson he, he did great you got you get you got some really good emotional scenes out of him uh this time going back into his his uh real life timeline which was great um so yeah a lot of the characters working back and forth in the story were great, but the overall story was very confusing, and I don't, I don't really understand the, the point of some of it. I feel like the more ambitious this show got, the weaker it got. Meaning, like, and I'll get into this in just a second, but like when we go to the World's Fair and we're kind of chasing Victor Timely, and it's a little more character driven and easier to follow, it's really, really good. And then the more high concept it gets with like the TVA and the temporal loom and all the branches splintering and needing to be still have no idea what a temporal loom is exactly and that that's to me where it like it relies less on the characters and these really strong cast of actors and it gets more into like this insane multiverse stuff that it has to set up i don't even think it really does set anything up because it kind of like resolves its own issue by the end that's Mm -hmm. where i was less interested in it um and the last thing I'll say, Banner, before I toss it over to you, the cast, which I think is a huge strength in this show, um, one of my favorite characters from season one, uh, Sylvie, played by Sofia DiMartino, by the end of this season, I was like, did we even need her in season two? She really had, like, nothing to do. I so like were, underused. Yeah, I feel like they were setting up for a lot where she goes back to Oklahoma, and then ultimately she's just, like, disagrees with Loki, and I guess she kind of talks to him a little bit to have him realize that he's being selfish. But like, aside from that one scene at the bar, they set her up for like some real potential high stakes, uh, like interaction with, or, uh, something to do with the plot. And they really kind of go away from that pretty quickly. Once it's like the temporal loom storyline, just kind of disappointed to me. All right, Banner, what'd you think? Yeah, I, I agree with what you're saying about Sylvie. They way underutilized her, especially after the first season when they built her up to be this, main huge big character and then they're like yeah yeah we're just gonna throw like a weird haircut mullet thing on her put her in oklahoma we'll bring her back for half an episode and then she's just kind of there right um overall thoughts i i really liked season one i thought it was uh a great 
new direction to take Loki, uh, the character. Um, and basically that season was Loki has the ability to make friends and care about other people, right? That's yeah, basically kind of struggle, what yeah. season one was about. Season two is can now he save those friends. That's yeah. it. That that's it. He he made friends and then now he can save them. Um I I know good acting when I see it. I know pretty good writing when I when I hear it. Um, and I think this had both, but I don't really understand the show in general. Um, I liked it. I was entertained at every point, but they kept talking about the temporal loom and this other little doohickey thing. And then like, yeah, again, all of a sudden Loki can just like jump through time and just keep doing things over and over and over again until he gets it right and at the end of the day he just ends up being he who remains which is a concept that the i mean that's the end of the original doctor strange right dormammu i've come to bargain right repeat. and it We've was already done, well done this and not that it was done poorly here but it's like it's a very very specific trope that you have already done it just dragged yeah. out too like i don't yeah. know yeah literally for centuries <laughs> yeah I, yeah <laughs> And like I had that written down in my notes, like it just it was like cheap. It was like a cheap trick that they try to pull. And he's like, "How long would it take me to to learn all this?" And he's like, "Centuries." And there's like, oh, centuries later. Oh, cool. So he literally just has like why? Basically, it's a Fantastic Four one year later situation. Yeah, he has to get out of jail free card. He can just do it however many times he wants until he gets it right. And they're just like jumping around and yeah, yeah. It just felt I don't know. It felt like I said cheap and contrived and it i don't know and then like ultimately it's just all a waste of time <laughs> so it was for for nothing yeah to me this was i mean to me it felt like a tale of like two parts of the season again the victor timely part with ravana renslayer where they're essentially doing what they did season one where they were trying to hunt down sylvie they were kind of doing that with timely um and then the stakes get much 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 bigger because once they actually get him you realize that the real macguffin that they have is this temporal loom that they have to fix and that inevitably leads to the branches splitting the time jumping and that's where things get again out of necessity with the plot less character driven and more about this high concept that i mean maybe i'm too stupid for the show but i feel like i could watch it three times and watch two youtube video breakdowns and i think i texted you guys this it would be like another situation when i saw tenet where the more yeah. that i try to understand it actually the more convoluted it sounds to me like the more explanations i get there's just more and more layers that i can't my, my mind cannot piece them together and it ends up making me more confused so so at the end of this is is loki is loki basically a temporal loom he is so, he who remains, right? He's he who remains is how I interpret yeah. it. He's holding all of the branches together that he can save. But instead yeah. of having them kill branches off, he is having it grow into this huge tree thing, right? Which then, so, I mean, I guess we'll just dive right into this then. If he is he who remains, that still means that all of the Kang variants are out there, right? And all of these different mm -hmm. branch realities? Yes. I think so, because they have that conversation. He's like, I'll go after all of them. He's like, it won't work. There's too many of them. You can't you can't hunt them all down. So then I guess, what does that do to set up the multiverse saga? Like we had multiverses before, we have multiverses now, and again, maybe I'm not understanding. I'm not trying to like say that the show was pointless, but like, how are we in a different spot now than we were at the end of season one, or at the beginning of season one? 
Correct. I don't know. Yeah. I don't have an answer. <laughs> I, I, I got nothing. Like all of this to me is is outside of the greater MCU, if you will. Right. Yeah. Because Loki leaves and then the TVA comes and I literally have no idea where we are, what time it is, any of that once we get to the TVA in the first season. Mm-hmm. And then now with the time jumping and time slipping or whatever the fuck he's calling it, I, I have no idea. So uh, spoilers for the Marvels, if you haven't seen it, skip ahead like 30 seconds. But we have now seen outside of the Spider-Verse movies, I believe, four different ways to access the multiverse in the MCU. We've had... Uh, Spider-Man Far From Home, or Sp- No Way Home, excuse me, uh, Multiverse of Madness. Um, I guess if you count WandaVision with Pietro, which I, I, I won't do that, so that we won't count that one, The Marvels yeah. and Loki, and four different ways the multiverse is accessed across these four properties. So either M- Marvel has no idea like what the consistency is with the multiverse saga or they just still haven't revealed to us what it is which now we're what like 20 properties into maybe less than that like 15 into this phase and we still no one knows like what is actually happening it's a robot doing it all right named kevin (laughs) oh god oh yeah how can we forget she hulk i hope that that yeah i don't know that was so meta that i'm not even sure if that's part of this uh, basically I took this season and even really the final episode was just like a video game, right? You try and beat this one part. You can't beat it. You can't beat it. You can't beat it. Then you finally beat it and then you get a little further and then you have to keep redoing it. Like Loki was playing a video game, right? <laughs> Essentially. I mean, that's what it felt like. You just kept, he just kept losing. So you keep restarting at your checkpoint. And then you finally win the game and then it's over. Uh, One other question I had tying into that. So Tom Hiddleston said on, I think it was either Kimmel or Fallon this week uh, that this is the end of his 14 year journey with Loki. So, I mean, assuming he doesn't come back in secret wars, which I still find kind of hard to believe, like how do we think the multiverse saga will even take place if he's holding the branch like it it feels like the point of the ending of the show here is that we now have stability across the branch timelines unless i'm misinterpreting it isn't that the point of him holding them all together that's what i thought i think so yeah and that's why i know he's he who last remains but that's like like uh metaphorically like he's the loom now he's holding everything together okay so then again i just don't understand the multiverse saga because like how if everything is stable now and we fixed it, like how are the biggest events of the saga still yet to happen? Well, Unless maybe they're they... just gonna say like none of this mattered again, no stakes, and then it's like, well, <laughs> that's kind of shitty. <laughs> yeah, unless the unless they pull on the string some more with the with the Kang stuff and they start actually going after his variants. Yeah. So yeah, that's what. It, I, but I, isn't that what the TVA is literally the their only job now? Right, is to prune branch mm-hmm. timelines with to, variants. So if there's like 50 of them out there, like we saw at the end of Quantum Mania, like the TVA is either asleep at the wheel or they're like allowing them to be variants, which makes it even more confusing to me because now I just don't understand their like principal function. Yeah, yeah, I thought I thought that the TVA originally was was pruning timelines to keep the sacred timeline. Now, in this 
new renovated version of the TBA. They want everything to grow, except they want to catch all of the Kings. And they're, they're basically in place to hunt the Kings. Hmm. Yeah. So I we mean, have three people on this podcast and we all interpreted the end of this show differently. Not yeah, a good yeah. sign. Deadpool three next year supposedly has Mobius in it. So we might get some immediate answers, but I just hope that they don't completely undercut the end of this season of the show. Um, because that would obviously lessen the supposed impact of it. Although again, we're so confused. Maybe we're again, I think it was good television. I just don't really know what I'm looking at. Yeah. I know good acting and I know good writing when I see it. I'm just confused. Yeah, I just thought there was going to be some, a more of a jumping off point. And like like you guys have been saying, like the end of season two it seemed like a very happy ending. We, we've solved what we need to solve. Loki knows his purpose. He's doing what he needs to be doing. So like where's the where's the catalyst of the drama that kicks something else off? It's just kind of there's nothing there. Yeah. And I don't know how much this would even affect it because obviously we have Lord Feige, you know, overseeing all these properties. But Kate Heron, the showrunner um, and who directed most of the season one episodes, leaving for season two and getting a new showrunner. I can't remember the guy's name, but I think he did a great job. But this seems to me like most unlike most television shows, losing your showrunner between seasons one and two on a show that is heavily dependent on like time travel and like resetting continuities feels like a pretty tall task to ask the show to not be a complete jumbled up mess. And I'm not necessarily saying it was, but from my perspective as the stupid viewer who watched it, I definitely like looking at season one and two as like a complete mosaic of a storyline. It's very confusing to me. Like I don't, I don't know if something massive or monumental happened or if absolutely nothing happened. Yeah. Yeah. And then, and then uh, I will say this just popped in my head. Remembering it, the, the thing, uh, no, was the was the last scene uh, Mobius, or was the last scene Renslayer? I think it was Renslayer, Renslayer in the void, right? Yeah. So, like, does does that have? Does, is there any meaning there? Like, she's in the void. Like, is she going to try and get back? Is there something they're going to try and pull on there? I didn't really know. Yeah, and like, if that thing, what's I can't remember the name of, but if the Eliath. thing eats her and Eliath, yeah, if the thing eats her and takes her to the Citadel, like, who is even there anymore? Because he who remains is gone, right? Great question. I have no idea. Can't answer that. Maybe. Honestly, and, we didn't even have to say spoilers for this because, like, we don't know what the fuck we're looking at. Yeah, that's true. I can't yeah, spoil something for you that I don't un- you make your own opinion. Um, I had one last thing I just want to talk through, but before that, did you guys have anything that we missed or that I just that we totally glossed over that you wanted to mention or ask? Nate, we'll start with you. Um, let me check my notes here. I don't think so. I think we pretty much hit everything. I have one question. Will Loki be in any more MCU installments? But we touched on that. You said Hiddleston said it's pretty much over him, which that makes sense giving the ending of the season. So no, I'm just confused as ever. So we pretty much touched on everything I had. In a weird way, though, I'm confused, but like I'm not mad. You know, like I'm not like, man, fuck this show. I don't understand. This is not a Moonlight situation. Or a She-Hulk situation. Oh, I understood yeah. Moon Knight plenty, trust me. Once the hippo showed up, I got the picture loud and clear. Duh. <laughs> uh, Banner, how about you? Anything that was on your list of... No, I just... I think we just need to make sure that we're giving Hiddleston the credit he deserves. He came from 
Thor, this, you know, cast out brother, he went through trying to take over New York. Like we have seen a different character and seen this character probably developed more than any other character in the MCU. Maybe not Iron Man, but I mean, this is a very, very well fleshed out character. And I think, I don't think he did a bad performance in anything. No, never. You got to give him a lot of credit, man. He leaves his best effort on the field every single time. Even if it's Thor the Dark World, he's still the guy out there running out every ground. Oh, yeah, he was he was there. He was there every step of the way. So great job. Last thing I want to touch on is just a few cast members that we got um, and your guys thoughts on them. So let's start with Ki Hui Kwan, who, of course, um, came back on everyone's radar with uh, everything everywhere all at once. I think every like no one has a bad thing to say about this guy. His character of OB if we were doing week to week reviews of this show, I guarantee you on our theories and questions at the end of each episode, we would have had wild theories about him being like a villain because a lot of people thought he was going to be like the main antagonist and had some real like nefarious uh, plot within the TVA. I loved his character. I mean, he was perfectly cast for it. I just think that he, Nate, I don't know about you. I'll, I'll toss to you first. But I was definitely drinking the Kool-Aid that there was way more to Obi's character than there ended up being. <clears throat> Yeah, uh, yeah, I can definitely see that, and yeah, he, I think he did a great job uh, of kind of tying everything together um, and, and tying different groups of people together as well. And yeah, like his story, and there was some obviously some funny things thrown in him being a writer in, in the main timeline, and then him getting super excited when he is a best-selling author because he wrote the TVA handbook. Him uh, trying to yeah, like leave his books on the shelves <laughs> at a Barnes and Noble. How that genius was, is that? Oh yeah, like, yeah he's back. Nice. <laughs> small scene in his in his main timeline um but yeah he was he was great he had kind of those quick throwaway uh lines where he's very literal in his representation of science and the, everything behind it um but yeah he, he was great i really enjoyed him all season yeah Benner, what'd you think about him yeah i thought he was perfectly cast perfectly played um he was the he was the one trying to explain what all of this time travel and the temporal loom and temporal auras and all that stuff was. And I thought that the way he delivered it made me think like, I don't understand this, but I kind of get it at the same time. If that makes sense. Like the way that he delivered his lines and the way that he sold it to me was, I don't understand what's going on, but that's okay. It's okay to not know what's going on here. Yeah. He, uh, that's kind of the point of his character, right? Is he knows way more than even like the audience does after we've had it explained to us. Mm-hmm. Um, one last guy I brought up just because early on in the season, like I was like, okay, this guy's going to be a big part of where this ends up going. And then towards the end, you're like, why did we devote so much time to this character in the first two or three episodes? And that's Raphael Casal who played Hunter X5. Cause the episode where they go back and he's um, like a movie star. That was one of my favorite episodes and I feel like he was going to have a bigger role in where things ended up, but really ends up being sort of like a, I don't, I don't want to say a filler episode, but like everything they did with him just ends up sort of being for naught. It has zero effect on where the show ends up going. Banner, what'd you think of him? Yeah, I, I thought everything was super intriguing with him early on. And then, yeah, it just, he's gone. Right. And, and that was kind of like everybody, like, like you said, we got two halves of the show. The first half of the season was character development and all this stuff. And we meet some new characters. And then all of a sudden, uh, 
the second half, it's like we don't have anybody and it doesn't matter. We, we see the same scene 37 times over two episodes. Yeah, I think it really changed course like after they visited Sylvie in Oklahoma because then it became less focused on going to the specific timelines to chase down variants or members of the TVA that had like abandoned their post. And it became more to the loom, which was like on the verge of um, imploding or rupturing. Nate, how about you? Uh, yeah, they really drew you in with his character, especially in where their torture room that they had there um, <laughs> with the ever uh, shrinking boxes that they killed people in, which kind of a little, little creepy. Yeah, um, super terrifying. Such a simple way to kill someone, but like yeah. very effective. Yeah, and then yeah, it's pretty crazy because I think he's B fifteen walks in after like the whole party in there is 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 crushed to death. But um yeah, going back to him, like yeah, they, they basically dedicate a whole episode to him um and his backstory. And then they have all this build up and they've got um some good development with him uh through like those torture scenes and all that, and then yeah, it's just kind of poof and goes away and I don't even know if he's in the last two episodes. I don't think he was. And I don't, I don't remember, think he was. I don't remember if he got killed in one of those torture scenes, but like the uh mind games he was playing with Mobius and Loki was some of my favorite moments of the show. And then it ends up being again just sort of like a bit of a buffer to get us to the end of the series, which is this, you know, the whole time jumping thing. Once once the time jumping like really started to to be explained by the show, that's when I think it really shifted from yeah, for sure. So, like, this higher concept, they felt like they had to chase down. Yeah. Maybe we'll understand it better in a few centuries. Maybe. <laughs> to wait. As an actor, I don't know, I don't know how you play that, because the, the the director would essentially tell you, all right, now you're hundreds of years older. Like, well, what, what, what does that even look like on screen? I don't know. Yeah. Act like you know physics better. <sighs> that was not cool. Okay. Uh, all right. That's all I got. You guys have any last closing thoughts? Leave the people with for Loki season two. No, no more. That that was it. I I liked it. Probably won't watch it again because I just don't get it. But it was great. I was entertained. Yeah, I definitely liked the first half more than the second. But overall, I mean, it was a good it was a good series. It was not a great series. Definitely liked the first season way better than the second, and it's not even fucking close. I think I'm the same, but that could also be more of a recency biased. Well, yeah, also just maybe more to the strength of season one versus the weakness of season two. Did we need a season two? I guess we will find out, but kind of feels like we didn't. No, I don't think we needed one at all. All right, that brings us to the second part of our show, which is our protein shake, where we go around and talk about what is in our cup, also known as what have we watched lately? So, guys, uh, I don't know if you heard, I watched Loki season two. Dang, how was it? Um, I don't really want to talk about it. Okay, we can move on from it then. Thanks for asking, though. <laughs> um, Banner, we'll toss it to you first. Before I do, I don't know if you were going to bring this up. You and I typically watch the reality show Big Brother on CBS. Did you watch this last season? Do pigs fart? Uh, that's a great question. Nate, do you know if pigs fart? Um, I'll get back to you on Tuesday. Okay. 
I do know okay. you have that research project that you're finishing on pigs farting by Tuesday, so that'll be good. Yeah, going to a farm tomorrow, so we'll see. Well, so, hypothetically, let's just say they do. Of course I watch Big Brother. Okay, great. Uh, so as we're recording this, the finale of season 25 was, was it Sunday? No, Thursday. Uh, Thursday, I think, yeah. So I guess we won't specifically spoil who won in case there's anyone out there that is like a few episodes behind because I've been there. Um, but what did you... I mean, I don't know if you were planning on talking about this, but since we both watch it, what did you think of this past season? Um, I liked, there was a lot more twists and turns and they threw a lot of like uh, extra uh, stuff at the, at, of the characters. I really liked all of that stuff um, with all the different multiverses. Wow. How topical is this? Yeah, that's true. Um, the players, I felt like nobody... Nobody wanted to make that big move. They were all talk, no bite this season. Um, as far as people, yeah, I liked this group of people collectively. There was probably only I one agree. person that I didn't like. But like you said, they were maybe some of the worst Big Brother players. Like in typical seasons, the top like five or six here would have been out much earlier. I agree. Yes. Um, I don't want to spoil anything, but I agree 100% with that. The person who wins this season, I, I think they would have been eliminated like halfway through the, a season, typically. Yeah, I, yeah, I mean, yeah. <laughs> but I will say how it played out, the person that won, I believe, deserved to win. Yes, I do, too. Yeah. Even if they got very weird when they were giving their uh, final speech. <laughs> yeah, super weird. But uh, yeah, so Big Brother, again, if you don't watch it, it's not worth like explaining to people because it's a little inside baseball but i'll just say i'm not a big reality tv show guy um at least in terms of ones that are like uh, games or competitions this is the one that i watch and although there have been seasons where i'm like i don't know if i'm gonna watch again next year this one i mean i hated how it started so much later this year but it was a good season of big brother i'll put it that way yeah all right what else you got all right, all right. um i watched uh jeff a or b b B. Okay. So uh finally got around to watching Werewolf by Night. Mm. Did you um, watch in color or black and white? Because both black are. and white, because that's how it was originally dropped. Um, I will probably go back and watch it in, in the color version. Um, I really liked it. I thought it was You know great. who directed it? Your boy. Yeah, Michael Giacchino. Yeah. He did the music for it. This is his directorial debut. Um, thought he did great. Score was great, obviously. Um really a cool way to showcase some lesser known Marvel characters and Marvel comics, you know, with you had man thing in there and obviously werewolf by night, uh, Elsa bloodstone, you know, it, it was, it's a cool way. We don't have to have this big spectacular crossover event with all these movies and all these shows to showcase some cool characters. Yeah. Um, I also liked, I mean, this is the first true horror, uh, so I, I guess uh, New Mutants was horror as well, but um, it, it's fun Without seeing Fox. superheroes in. It was Fox, different, different stakes. Um, but it's cool seeing superheroes or or comic book characters in a um, genre that we don't normally see them in. Yeah, and I thought visually, it was they did a really good job of making it like feel practical. Um, even though obviously there are moments that aren't and then, but then also still kind of had like that campy, like old black and white, you know, creature from the black lagoon type. Yeah. Feel to it. Yeah. That's the, 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 yeah, I guess the, I don't know if you call it the theme, but yeah, the feel of the whole show 
was just really, really well done. Everything tied together really well. We should do next Halloween. We should do a commentary on it because I think it's only like 50 minutes. 54 minutes. Stop. Start to stop. So, yeah, that'd be super fun. Nate, have you seen Werewolf by Night? No, I was actually just looking this up. I'm not even aware of this, but I'm seeing the trailer play and like, yeah, I like the aesthetic of everything. It looks really cool. We're gonna have to, I think you would really like it, Nate. Yeah. Yeah, I think he would too. Yeah. Okay. Apparently, there was a uh, scene that they didn't end up filming because it was cut from the script, but uh, Mahershala Ali's Blade was originally going to be part of this. And I don't know why he couldn't be in it. Uh, That disappointed me. I know that would have been perfect. That would have been awesome. Nice. All right, Nate, how about you? What's in your cup? Uh, Let's see here. We'll. We'll do one crossover with me and you that I know you've seen. Um, so recently watched the Pain Hustlers, well, not the Pain Hustlers, just Pain Hustlers on on Netflix. Um, saw a clip of this um, with uh, Emily Blunt, and Chris Evans, little dialogue back and forth. I don't know somewhere on social media. I was like, oh, that looks really good. Um, so check it out. Scene? Yeah, the strip club scene. Yeah, they're back and forth. It's pretty funny. Uh, but yeah, I really enjoyed this. Um, it's a really cool true story about. Uh, the pharma world and a drug called Lonapin, I believe. Um, not really spoilers because it really happened, but it was basically fentanyl that they were selling under this name or very high doses of fentanyl in this um, that ended up fucking up a lot of people and, and killing people. And it was pretty shady, um, as you can probably guess if it was in the pharmaceutical world. But um, yeah, their dynamic back and forth through the whole movie is great. Um, Chris Evans kind of plays a skeezy pharmaceutical sales guy, uh, um, and I know I know uh, Horns picked up on his accent being a little weird in that. I don't know if he was like trying to go off like the real life guy who's playing or what, but um, try to do something a little different. Yeah, I uh, I think I talked about this last episode in my protein show. Okay. I just recently watched it at your request, and this was this was really interesting watch. I had seen the Hulu series Dope Sick, which covers the opioid crisis from oh, okay. a little bit more of like the uh, procedural, like investigative point of view. Rosario Dawson plays the uh, FBI agent who's essentially trying to take down one of the big pharma companies. Yeah, but this is more like. So I I don't know if there's like a subgenre name for this, but like the company startup where like it gets too big too fast, and everyone who gets rich and like should be well to do, like their lives are essentially ruined because basically overnight in some cases they have like more money than they've ever had in their lives, and sometimes that happens in this case through nefarious means, and there's like the other wrinkle of that, like the moral dilemma of like all right, this this is. Money that we're making at literally the expense of other people's lives. How do we feel about that? Or do we just want to keep getting richer and richer? Yeah. And there, there's a, a struggle, and I don't know if it's them just lying to themselves or if they really did believe this as the, the people in real life, but they're saying they're helping people through this drug um, when really they know they're doing some things that are illegal as far as getting doctors to prescribe this and, and the ways they're actually getting it out there. So if they're doing that, I think in the back of their mind, they know, okay, this probably isn't um, really the best drug for people out there. Um, but there were a lot of things that were brought to light through the movie. But like I said, I didn't know about um, some trials that were done before that weren't exactly legit or accurate um, yeah. that they later found out that were kind of skewed to make the drug seem better than it was. Um, that yeah, is, it was so, good. 
I was gonna say that that is the part that in Dope Sick is actually highlighted as a bigger part of the story is like how the FDA approves some of these things and like the process or sometimes just lack thereof that it takes to get a specific label on your drug that says FDA approved. It's fucking haunting. <laughs> like how uh, th- there's workarounds or like ways to get specific oh, yeah. on your drug that just are flat out deceptive. And in this case, it's like, like you said, I don't want to spoil too much, but it's almost like the pharmaceutical sales reps, are they so bought into this lie that they just believe that it's true? Or are they in the in and of themselves initially kind of lied to um, so that they don't have that moral dilemma when they're trying to sell these drugs? Yeah, and that, that's kind of Emily Blunt's character at the end. And like I said, I don't know if this is Hollywood acting it up just for the movie or if this is how this person really felt in real life. But at the end, feels very remorseful and basically saying, oh, I thought I was helping people. Um, and there's a little little backstabbing that goes on. But she seems like she is. Well, there, there's a there's a huge catalyst that happens that, that causes her to do that. I won't say Um for anyone who still wants to watch it, but it pushes her over the edge, and then she finally realizes kind of what they were doing, um, what they're doing to people. And aside from her and Chris Evans, we also have Catherine O'Hara in mm-hmm. a, a pretty interesting role. She Love plays Catherine Emily O'Hara. Yeah, she's great in everything. She plays Emily Blunt's mother, and then Andy Garcia, uh, who's done a lot of like he's had a lot of like questionable projects. He's been a part of. Just kind of getting the paycheck, but this one was uh, a return to form for him. Always good to see him in something that he, you know, it's like legitimate uh, chunk of the the narrative to act in. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he he was a fun character in there, kind of the uh, centric doctor type over the whole operation and mm-hmm. his arc of kind of going insane through the whole process. Yeah, I mean, he's like at the he's the poster child for like literally got have more money than I ever thought I would have in my life and I'm not handling yeah. it well. <laughs> I, I'm not adjusting to a life where I can have anything I want at the snap of my fingers. Yeah. It's a fun unraveling and kind of a, well, especially from Emily Blunt's character's perspective, a rag to riches back to rags again. So right. Sort of by choice. Mm-hmm. What was it called? It was pain hustlers, right? Pain hustlers. Yeah. Yeah. And I think it clocks in right at two hours on Netflix. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So it doesn't really overstay. It's welcome. Yeah. Uh, okay, I saw um, actually this weekend uh, the Marvels in theaters just came out. Got to go see all the MCU movies when they're released. Um, obviously, you know Banner uh, is anti Brie Larson. I'm very pro Brie Larson. We've had that debate back and forth. I know that the internet loves to troll Brie Larson, and I kind of feel bad for her because she's taken some unfair heat. Just I, I don't know why she's like the whipping boy for. Um, these mouth breathers online, but this movie sort of had its uphill battle in terms of getting uh, positive uh, reviews. I think before it even came out, just because now we're at the point where we're, like review bomb stuff. So I ignored all the reviews because I was like, it might be good, it might suck, but either way, I don't think I could trust reviews either way. Um, and I'll say this about the Marvels: first off, shortest MCU movie to date at an hour forty-four minutes, which is kind of <laughs> interesting. Yeah, it's a quick one. Um, and again. And I, I think I like this because I'm an MCU head, but I could see it becoming a problem. If you did not see Miss Marvel and WandaVision, which set up the other two Marvel's characters in Kamala Khan and Photon, you are going to be very, very confused when this movie starts. Ugh. Yeah. They give, you, they give you like a quick 30-second refresher on uh, Kamala Khan, but Photon, you're, you get like one line of dialogue 
Um, and then as far as Nick Fury's character goes, I'm assuming that they just were planning on releasing this before Secret Invasion because there is no mention at all of what he went through down on Earth, which was obviously pretty traumatic. Yeah, that, that was going to be my one question. Like, how yeah. much tie-in is there? So that that would make sense if they actually had those flip-flopped at one point. Yeah, nothing at all. Um, and the stuff that I liked about this movie, I really liked. It does delve into why Carol didn't come back to Earth all that time um, prior to Nick Fury calling her. And it gets into a little bit of the repercussions of her actions in space, basically trying to end the Kree-Scroll War. Um when really like it's not her place to be a part of it. And the post credit scene is pretty massive as far as, especially like multiverse stakes go. I won't tell you guys what happens, but uh, very, very cool and um, uh, cool character shows up. But the stuff I didn't like, I really didn't like. There is a musical sequence in this movie. Gross. Yeah, they go to a planet where everyone on the planet has to sing everything that they say. Oh, Why? God. Yeah, Nate's reaction is my reaction. Yeah, just it, even just pitching that idea, I don't know how it made it from like storyboard to screen. It's, it's like I'm gonna throw this in there as a joke and see how far it gets, and then it actually makes it in the movie. Yeah, because it's about as bad as it sounds. The other thing involves, um, I think they're called flurgans, those cats that like have the tentacles that they're not actually cats. They are way yeah. too much a part of this movie. Way too much part of this movie. I'll say that because I think they're kind no, of no, no. But you get it. It's a cat. It's like cute, and it's a cat, uh, but like it it eats people, right? Ah, uh, that so so naturally we just have to shove it down their throats. Very good. Because we yeah. can sell those toys easy. That's true. Uh, the villain uh, is in real life is actually Tom Hiddleston's wife. Oh, Z- nice. Zawa Ashton. Yeah. Okay. She's pretty good. She plays the new accuser now that Ronan has been killed. Um, so nice. she's, she like took over for him. Um, and her, uh, her arc is pretty cool. She's not in it as much as I would like. Um, again, it's a pretty short movie, but, uh, I liked her as a villain and I like all the, all the characters in it and it sets up some pretty big stuff in the MCU, I think. But again, with the multiverse stuff, it's just like, they're finding ways to bring in characters from other universes. Uh, and I guess they're like, we'll figure out how it makes sense later. Where would you rank this? Uh, musical scene to the Hawkeye musical scene that we got in that series. <laughs> um, well, the ha- the context of the Hawkeye one because they're at a musical it makes a lot more sense. This <laughs> yeah, okay. this one when they just go to a planet where they have to sing to communicate, I would say is uh, pretty fucking stupid. <laughs> That's yeah, like completely fabricated. Just like who pitched this and who wanted this in here? Yeah, very dumb. Dumb, 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 dumb. All right, Banner, back to you. All right. Speaking of dumb, uh, I got duped by Hulu in, I guess, a good way. So it's going through trying to find something to watch. And I see a picture of Owen Wilson and it says Oscar winner. And I was like, Owen Wilson's never won an Oscar. I was very confused. So I clicked on it and it is Midnight in Paris. Uh, Woody Wait, Allen won the Oscar. It didn't even have the title? No, it just had a picture of, of Owen Wilson. <laughs> I was trying to figure out what you were saying you like saw on Hulu when you clicked. Yeah. And yeah, I was very, very confused, but uh, ended up watching it. Midnight in Paris. I believe both of you guys have seen this, right? Yep. Long time ago. Um, 
A lot of MCU people in it. Yeah. Speaking of Hiddleston and uh, Owen Wilson, they and Corey Stoll and Rachel and, McAdams. Yeah. Um. I liked it. It was good. I think I would like it a lot more if I knew more about like Salvador Dali and uh, Hemingway and like these these people that he went back in time to see. Um, you but really overall, had some fun pronouncing Dali's name there, didn't you? Do what? Dali. 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 <laughs> yeah. Uh, I liked it. I thought it was good. Um, Again, good acting. I think I would have liked it more if I knew more about these real characters. I'm a big fan of, of I call it historical adjacent, where we have a fictitious story that is happening around a real life event. I'm sure there's another actual name for that. Historical fiction, maybe? Yeah, I like adjacent better. I'm a big fan of adjacent, just the okay. word in general. Just the word, okay. Just the word. Um, <clears throat> but I like, I like movies that, that do that. Uh, a la why I like uh, Abraham Lincoln Vampire Hunter. That's true. Because it's it's a real life event, but a fictitious story. Um, interesting concept going back uh, in time and, you know, having having them critique his work and him kind of finding who he is in a different in a different time. Um, again, a little artsy fartsy, but I liked it. Kept me entertained. Clock's in at like an hour 34, maybe real, real quick watch. There is um, a, and Cycli would appreciate this, but there's a group of people like, I don't know how large the contingent is online who has um, found ways to turn this into a sequel to wedding crashers because at the end of wedding crashers, Owen Wilson and Rachel McAdams characters drive off together and they're seemingly falling in love. And then this is like a, couple who's been married for like two years and they're clearly like not compatible so they're saying like they could be the same characters uh i love that yeah i i don't see any flaws in that yeah like the the burden of proof is on the other people because we're in good shape we have more evidence backing up that it is true yeah um and i think it's interesting route to go for a sequel but uh yeah I guess Joker is about to, its sequel is going to be a musical, so nothing's off the table. Forgot about that. Where's our trailer for that, by the way? I. It should be any time now, right? Because that's coming out like pretty quick. Have you, you say you've seen one, Nate? That one's out? No, I was asking Banner if he had the trailer. Oh, yeah, he probably hasn't. He was just holding on to it. Yeah. Yeah, I'm just that's how you build suspense, guys. He has one copy. It's on a flash drive in his back pocket right now. He's forgetting he has it. Damn it. I've been through the washer a couple times. Uh, Anything else, Banner? Nope, that's all I got. All right, Nate, how about you? Um, Yeah, I'll go with this one. Uh, Watched All the Lights We Cannot See on Netflix. Um, Netflix is putting out some good stuff. Um, I've been scrolling through and seeing things that uh, tickle my fancy and I've been really enjoying them. So this is a limited series. It's only four episodes. They're, each episode is about an hour long, um, but it's based on a novel. Don't know who wrote the novel because I can't read. Um, so it's set in World okay. War II in Europe, mainly in uh, France. Um and the really interesting thing about this is that the main character is blind in the book. Um, and the director of the show really wanted a 
uh, authentic feel to this. So he like went through this huge casting process. Um, Aria Marie Liberti is who ended up playing this role. She was not an actress before this. She was just blind, um, oh went out to the audition and then ended up getting this part. And I think she did a great job. That's crazy. Um, yeah, like I said, added some real authenticity to it. Um, it's also got Mark Ruffalo in it, who plays her father. Um, I know we spoke about a weird accent earlier from uh, Chris Evans and Payne Hosters. Mark Ruffalo does this weird thing, too. Um, it's different than his original voice because he's playing a Frenchman, but it's not French, I don't think. Um, huh. But it's... It's like a like banner a accent that all sounds the same. Know, just, Where it becomes Australian by the end. Yeah, I couldn't put my finger on like what it was. Um, but yeah, overall, really enjoyed this. Um, really quick. Um, it's set in World War II. That's kind of the background and the catalyst that moves things forward, moves things forward through this. But it's not like a Saving Private Ryan or Band of Brothers or anything like that, where they're like in the gritty, in the trenches, or have a ton of um, warfare going on. Um, a lot of things that do happen pertain to the war. They're in the city and it's getting bombed because the Germans have infiltrated and kind of taken over the city. Um, but overall it's a very relationship driven story. Um, a lot of good relationships, um, especially between, um, uh, Ari Marie Liberty and Mark Ruffalo's character, father, daughter, um, trying to go out of Paris and find, um, resolve somewhere else. Hugh Laurie is also in it. Oh, um, I love Hugh Laurie. Plays the main character's great uncle, I believe. Um, He's not in enough and, stuff. no, um, but then there's a, just a ton of, I won't get into the details of all the different relationships, but it, there's a lot of strong relationships that are built, um, and connected through various means, um, before the war and then going into the war. I think they did a good job of the backstory, quick backstory of the characters and how it all accumulated and then came coming to this, this one, uh, city and meeting and, and interacting. Um, but definitely recommend this one. Um, like I said, it's, Set during World War II, but I wouldn't, I wouldn't call it a war series or a war show. Um, it's a lot more than that. Is it historical fiction? Like, is this a thing that actually happened? Uh, it yeah, historical like... fiction. Because I think, I actually haven't done any research on this, but uh, Saint Marlo, I think, is the city that they're in, and I think it was heavily bombed during the war. Um, but the actual uh, characters and what pulls everyone together. I won't give any spoilers away, but um, I don't think any of that happened because like I said, it's based on a novel and I think the novel's fiction. Okay. So it's yeah. not I, historical adjacent. I mean, I think you could still call it historical adjacent if in your terms. He's going to make us call it historical I'll, adjacent. I'll yeah. accept. Okay. But yeah, really, really recommend that one. It's, it's good. Knock it out okay. pretty quick. Yeah, we probably will watch that because my wife read the book and she really, really liked it. Oh, solid. We just thought it was a movie at first. And then when we saw it was four episodes, we were like, uh, we weren't mentally prepared for that right now. <laughs> it sucks when that happens. You're like, oh, when I watch, oh, it's not a movie. I know. <laughs> yeah. Nice. All right. I have one last thing. It's also a Netflix uh, original that I'll share before we move on to the last part of the show. Um, it is a movie called Love at First Sight. It is a rom-com starring Haley Lou Richardson, who you might know from The White Lotus Season 2. Um, and then Ben Hardy, who, Banner, you will probably know. He played uh, Angel in X-Men Apocalypse, which I know we all try to forget yeah. about. 
Yeah. But he was also in um I'm trying to find it here. Edge of Darkness, I believe. What was the Zack Snyder zombie not Edge of Darkness? Ar- Army of the Army of Dead. Army of the Dead. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He yeah. is like the safe cracker guy. Yeah. From that. He so. was at, there's actually another one, uh Army of Thieves, which he's the main character and and he's really good in that too. Yeah, it's a prequel, right? Yes. Like his, he plays the same character, but it's obviously like same character, but he's yeah, but it's before. Um, so rom-com on Netflix, cheesy kind of entry point. These two people, Haley Lee Richardson and Ben Hardy meet at, uh, the airport. They're both flying from New York city to London and Haley Lee Richardson is going because her dad is getting remarried and has asked her to be there. And Ben Hardy, uh, says that he is going to his mother's birthday there and, you know, they connect, have kind of like a meet cute at the airport, end up, believe it or not, sitting next to each other on the plane. No way. What are the odds? No um, way. <laughs> but it's like a cute, you know, kind of fun movie. Jamila Jamil is in it, who I know Nate will know from um, The Good Place. And obviously she was in She-Hulk as well. Um, it kind of has like a love actually feel like they're definitely going for... Like, it's, like, narrated by someone who you don't quite know who the character is yet. And uh, it takes place, I think it actually is kind of around the holidays, now that I think about it. Um, Pretty solid movie. It's exactly what you think you're getting, which I always appreciate with these types of films. Um, Doesn't overstay its welcome. And if you want a good rom-com, scratches that itch for you. And, again, I think just kind of plays into the... Netflix, again, w- was this like mind-blowingly good and something I would be shouting from the rooftops that all my friends need to watch? No. But as far as original content goes, their stuff is a lot less shitty than most of the other streamers, consistently, I have to at least say. Yeah, like I said, and I think I was talking about this a week or so ago, like Netflix has really like stepped it up. And like you still have to have like shows like this or movies like this. You got to have like that second baseman that hits like, 240 but can also play like short and third in a pinch so you gotta have you gotta have a role players man yeah but if we're talking like okay the netflix subscription fee is now probably the highest of all the the platforms at this point for what you get yes i would agree with that. right but i I think i mean disney plus i think puts out the least original content we can say They're, they're relying more on their library than anything yeah yeah um and Netflix is though like it's it's pretty solid. Like they have some pretty big successes, and then even their their misses are just fewer and far between. I feel like, and so this was part of that quota that all the streamers feel like they need to fill with original content. But it was a decent watch. Again, yeah. you're not going to subscribe just for movies like this, but it helps uh, helps you justify the cost. Yeah, and then they've got another one coming out. I know we were texting about what was it? Uh, Leave the world behind with Mahershala Ali coming out soon. Oh yeah, see, I didn't know that was a Netflix original, but that is like. That might end up making one of my top movies of the year. I'm already predicting. Yeah, looks pretty solid. Because I'm pumped for that. Or anything else? Um, no, that's about it. All right, that parrot noise saying, do you even lift bra brings us to the end of our show, our last segment, question and answer segment where we ask a question that we then leave you people with. The question today, you can find this link in the description of this podcast. What are the bros' top 100 movies of all time? We have been doing this list for a little bit over a year, um, all five of us, counting down our movies from number 100. 
to number one. Before we get into it today, where Nate Thurman is going to share with us uh, his 49th and 48th favorite movies ever, Banner, why don't you tell the people at home what these lists are? Because as we always say, this is not like a film majors curated list of the 50 best pieces of cinema. It's a little more unique to the Bro Force Squad. I don't know if Brian... Did we lose him? I teed him up and he just refused to swing the bat. Sorry, I had a I had a barking dog situation. <laughs> okay. Uh, Did you what hear was the question? question? No, uh, <laughs> I literally said, <laughs> and then I left. So I missed a lot. He's like, I did my job. That's all you pay me for. Um, Brian, why don't you tell the people about our top 100 lists? How would you describe them? Uh, this is this is my top 100. There are movies in this list that don't deserve to be on any top 100 list, um, except for maybe top 100 worst movies. But it's still my top 100. Uh, usually it's tied to a uh, emotion or a moment in your life or a, a big significant event. Um, like Jeff, if I'm not mistaken, is it Rush Hour 2? First DVD you ever had. Yeah. So that's on the list because of that. This is not your AFI top 100. No, it's not. And uh, Banner, you're, again, just to give you guys a little bit of the flavor of how unique these lists are to each of us. Banner, the last one he counted down was his number 46 movie of all time, which was the 2021 movie Jungle Cruise. And mine was actually the original Rush Hour at number 46. Oh, wow. So. Yeah. To pick things up today, Nate isn't quite at number 46. He last gave us his number 50 movie of all time, which was 13 Hours, the Michael Bay directed um, based on a true story about the Benghazi situation. So, Nate, what is your number 49 clocking in just ahead of 13 Hours? And just, again, for a little bit of reference here, uh, Banner's was Frozen. That's his number 49. And mine is, I believe, a movie that Nate Thurman also enjoys, A Simple Favor, starring Anna Kendrick and yes. Blake Lively. Very good. Very good. Uh, all right. You're basically the same movies. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, it's a, yeah, it's, a, it's almost a shot for shot remake. <laughs> if you really think about it. Um, so for my 49, um, and it's funny, Banner, when he was describing what these are, he said, oh, maybe something happened or like a special moment in your life. That's exactly what this one is. Um, and then oh, yeah. it, I, it's just a good film. Um, but 49 for me is Wally. Wally. Uh, I, I knew it. So, so you knew that that was going to be 49. I don't think you knew that, but okay. <laughs> I didn't know it was going to be 49, but I knew that it was going to be high on, on your list. list. Okay. Oh yeah. So this was the, this was the first day of my now wife and mine's, um, whatever, 15, 16 years ago. Um, so yeah, this was this is the movie we went to um, after dinner on our first date, um, and then so it's it's always held a special place in in mine and hers heart. Um, but then on top of that, obviously all the emotional strings that are attached to it, I think it's just a really well done movie. Um, it has a lot to it. Um, obviously, there's a lot of work behind getting emotion out of the more or less inanimate objects that they're using as far as Wally and Eva. Uh, and some of the other robots that are on the spaceship uh, once you get up there. Um, and that's whenever that's really well done. And I think we've talked about this also, too, in, in like uh, the Star Wars universe, like the way they emote from um, droids and other robots in, in the 
in Star Wars too. Uh, when it should be done really well, it really draws to the story. And this is done throughout the whole throughout the whole show. Um, the whole show, the whole movie. Um, but yeah, it's just really well done. Really cute and fun love story with robots. Um, and then you kind of get a different side of uh, the movie too when they get up on the spaceship and everyone's there. And um, it's kind of one of those holding a mirror up to society moments in a funny oh, yeah. way. Looking, hey, this is where we could go if you guys don't get your act together, and we just—we're not that start. far from. <laughs> <laughs> We're not that far away when you go to a movie theater and get a, a small, and it's forty ounces. So this movie might move into historical adjacent realm if we're not careful. Wow, what a way! <laughs> You're going to say that phrase every time you get a chance now, even if it's a stretch. Yeah, the thing I love about Wally, and this is exactly to your point, Nate, about like droids in Star Wars. Mm-hmm. Sometimes I feel like the most creative ideas, i.e., like the ways to make droids emote or to have us like actually care about them as characters, come yeah. from when creative minds are sort of limited or hamstrung, whether it be by budget or in the case of a droid, like, hey, this creature can't talk, make me love it or make mm-hmm. me care about it. And that's where like some of the most creative ideas come into play because they can't just use the, you know, generic well we'll just have it tell you why you should give a shit about it like they have to show us other ways that we should care for this character and that's exactly what wally is so expertly uh or expertly executed i think yeah and whoever designed like it for wally specifically like throughout the movie it's all through the way his eyes are designed and the way they can move up and down and kind of move around and like show his sadness really and then obviously Mm -hmm. they can perk up and show he's happy um, but whenever they droop down and you can literally feel the, that he is sad, um, and it really, really connects to you and yeah, whoever, I don't know, whoever designed the robot and specifically the eye portion of it, uh, they should have won an Oscar just for that portion alone. Yeah. Good Oscar question. for best eyes goes to best eyes, best eye animation. A notoriously very competitive category. As we all know. <laughs> best eye animation. Eye animation. All right, Nate, to close us out, what is your number 48, one ahead of Wally? And again, just so people get a little bit of a reference point here, Banners was one of my favorite movies, Tron Legacy, which, yeah, okay, has not come up on my list yet. Wait, it has. Where was it at? Wow, 71. I can't believe you had Tron Legacy higher than me. I'm shocked. Yeah. And then my number 48 was The Truman Show, starring Jim Carrey. So what will be joining them? Nice. Joining them on my list is Jojo Rabbit. Wow. Wow. Yeah. Um, the Waititi yeah, whenever, whenever this came out, I watched it pretty quickly and then watched it several times after. Um, came out in 2019. Um, but this is just a perfect mixture of a lot of things that go into creating like a favorite movie for me. Um it's got a lot of dry comedy in it. It's his. It's got some historical background to it. So historical adjacent banner. There you go. Yes. Yes. <laughs> Thank you. It's kind of got some some irreverentness to it, um, but then really good relationship building in this. Um, really good mockery of Hitler, um, and that's one of the things that. I mean, it's a weird thing to say. The best one of the best things in this movie was the way Hitler was done. Um, and I know I've heard Tika Watiti talk about this, like throughout casting. And I don't know if it was like a snap decision or it was a long thought out process, but they ultimately, he ultimately went with him playing that character. 
Did you lose him, Brian? Yeah, that's all I'm gonna see. Um, so putting sorry, himself Nate, in you cut out for like that was a seconds. great point, but could you say it again? Oh, so the damn last, it, where'd I come no, off? You're good. Last thing I heard was Taika Waititi talking about the decision to cast himself as yeah. Hitler. Yeah, and so and that's one of the things that made this movie so great is because you can't put George Clooney in there. You're just gonna look at him and say it's fucking George Clooney. It's gonna detract <laughs> from and distract from what what the movie is trying to do. Um, so putting him in there, um, someone who's less known as an actor. Certainly. He's giving great hand gestures right now. I know. No, we can't hear you. All right. Well, we, um, we temporarily lost you again. I, I'll make a comment on this. I mean, we all, I think we can all agree we all hate Hitler, but I think Nate hates Hitler more because two of his top 100 movies are making fun of Hitler. We have this as well as The Great Dictator, the Charlie Chaplin silent film. So, again, vastly different top 100 lists, but I mean, if there was a Oscar for hating Hitler the most, uh, Nate would be up for it on the pod. I think I'm back. Yeah, you are back. He can throw God, that in our face. He'd be like, I'm not saying you guys love Hitler, but I definitely hate him the most, is what Nate can say. <laughs> oh, and we haven't even got... Oh, I've got another one ahead of this, so... I think I know the, the one. Yeah. The other you one. probably do, yeah. <laughs> um, but, well, I'm glad my hand gestures were really good, even though I cut out there. Um, oh, you were but anyway, the boating, yeah. Tika Watiti deciding to play Hitler is great in this. That's what kind of makes the makes the movie... Uh, and I would say, not to spoil anything, but, like, one of the real credits to this film is how the subject matter is obviously very serious, but levity is inserted very tactfully. Like, Sam Rockwell's character, you still care for him the whole time, even though he's kind of made to be a bit of a buffoon or he's sort of like the butt of a lot of jokes. But then there's that one scene in the town square where when that happens, obviously, like, all there, no one is joking at all. Like, we're being very serious yeah. and morose, and it works. It doesn't feel like a whiplash to the senses or like it's really out of place or done you know just to be um dramatic it it, it works in the film and then you know all the, the light-hearted parts do as well it just does a really good job of balancing those tones yeah yeah and like i said at the beginning that's like what makes this movie so great to me is like how it ties all those things it had it's the perfect stew uh well of yeah of uh of movie tropes or relationships and, and this and how, how it's put together um that really goes in well. And then I think another to the Hitler point, him being an imaginary friend mm -hmm. um, is just hilarious. But getting who Hitler was in history and making him an imaginary friend of uh, one of Hitler's youths um, was a really funny twist. Yeah, because the, the main protagonist uses Hitler as sort of like his inner monologue to justify these things. Bounce ideas off. Yeah. Yeah. And then obviously the way the, the way that they end up utilizing him towards the end when, you know, the Nazi regime is sort of being toppled is pretty funny, too. Yeah. Good inclusion. Well, 48. All right. Well, we'll leave the people there for tonight before we let them go for episode 200. And what is this? 13. Wow, we're doing this a while. Banner, wow, any advice? Any advice you want to give the people? 
Uh, yeah, just continue to pull over for emergency vehicles, please. Um, seen some good stuff re- recently. Let's keep it up. Um, you know, it's getting to the holiday season. Uh, winter, everything's wet and icy. So let's just, you know, be aware. You see those lights pull over. Yeah, I don't think we're asking too much there. So it's it's good that Banner has started to see progress because we were getting to the point where, I'll be honest, guys, I was about to just say no one can drive anywhere. I was about to withdraw everyone's driver's license. Yeah, yeah, we had a we had a rough we had a rough uh, first two quarters, but we turned it around third quarter here. They had us in the first half. I'm not gonna lie. <laughs> Nate, what's your advice to the people at home? Um, my advice would be make sure you're eating plenty of fruits. Um, I've realized recently that I don't eat enough fruits. I eat a lot of vegetables. I get my veggies in. Mm-hmm. Um, but there we go go several days where I don't eat much fruit. Um, so, you know, try and mix it if you don't already, like a smoothie um, or maybe like a yogurt parfait. Just throw some yogurt and some some strawberries or blueberries in there. A, a lot of people may already be doing this and maybe getting their, their servings in. Um, but through a recent realization of myself, uh, I just want to make more people aware in case they're in the same boat as me. Great, great advice. Yeah. Let me ask you guys this. Uh, since we're all, you know, in our mid to early 30s uh where do you guys get your calcium from because i realize i don't really get much calcium in my diet because i don't ice drink cream. just like a glass of milk anymore. <laughs> okay ice cream nice yeah that's uh yeah maybe yogurt um and is there calcium in oat milk great question i don't, I don't even know i believe there's oats in it okay or is there calcium in oats i'll rephrase the question possibly I don't think okay. so. Yeah, because the little like milk that I put in my black coffee, I don't think is doing it for me. I don't think I'm getting my daily serving there. But maybe I'll just do banners. Yeah. My doctor said by my doctor I mean banner said I need more ice cream in my diet. That's you heard it first here. Does Cool Whip have calcium? Because I'm about to go eat some pumpkin pie with Cool Whip. Yeah. Yeah. I mean I always imagine calcium is white, so and whipped cream is white, so <laughs> pretty much the same thing i'm laughing but i've of course made that exact same correlation because i was like what what white things am i eating like in my diet that would have calcium in them because calcium can't be another color no no maybe you need to get some like calcium chews like some chewables that might be what i have to do yeah i bet it tastes nasty can't wait whenever we do finally start up the bro fork squad we'll have to break down our uh calcium intake yeah, or like just what vitamins or nutrients are we most deficient in each week? Break down our meals and be like, who's missing what? I need some iron this week, guys. People at home are like, if you start that fucking podcast, I don't know. Without even subscribing, I'll unsubscribe somehow. <laughs> wow, I don't know. Just get ready. Quite the All right. American hero Nate Thurman and the mad scientist Brian Banner. I'm the mayor Jeff Hornacek, and we are the Bro Four Squad podcast. Thank you guys for checking us out. You can follow us on Twitter. I know that it's actually called X. We're not going to play that stupid fucking game. We're on there at Bro Four Squad. We're also on Threads and Instagram with the same handle. Uh, Letterboxd, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, YouTube, iHeartRadio. You name it, we're there. Type in Bro Force Squad as three separate words, and then our website is broforcesquad.com. You can find our squad blog and everything we've ever posted. Till next time, I need to go look up the nutrition facts on probably everything in my fridge.
kind of scared. Are we on OnlyFarmers.com? Uh, I personally am, but I don't think we have a pod account. Yeah. Okay. And I actually used our email. Fuck, sorry, that was selfish of me. Yeah, didn't mean to tell you. I don't approve of sharing. Sharing. Give her a chance. She's just looking for a cowboy to love. 